Hello, and welcome to the podcast called the Virtual CISO Chronicles. In this podcast, I will interview a virtual CISO to talk about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, a software platform exclusively for virtual CISOs. Virtual CISOs are cybersecurity professionals who consult with companies to build cybersecurity programs. To tell you a little bit about myself, I have over 22 years of experience as a startup lawyer, and I like to think of myself as an advocate, especially in the fields of data privacy and cybersecurity. But I grew up in an entrepreneurial home, and I absolutely love listening to people's stories. So I started this podcast to feature people who are working hard in cybersecurity to make the world a better place. Today, our guest is Scott Price from Align. And this time, it's a little bit different because Align provides SOC 2 audits and other types of third-party audit for security purposes. And so I'm really excited to talk to him about his business and his experience. So Scott, thank you for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Caroline. I'm excited to be here. So first question I ask everybody, and of course, you're not going to get away from it either, which is to please tell your audience, the audience, a little bit about yourself. And if you can include something that's non-security related, related, please do so. That sounds great. Um, so I'm uh, Scott Price. I uh, actually have a degree in accountancy and a master's in taxation. Uh, I was started out at Arthur Anderson as a CPA performing financial audits. For about nine months and realized how much technology was going to be involved in in the audit process and said i don't want to be part of reporting on the numbers i want to be part of the system that generates the numbers whether that's a revenue transaction um, or the actual system that records the numbers and i said there's an opportunity for um, me to delve into it audits and around the security of that and i found that very interesting because you learn how a company made money because the systems behind them are usually part of that infrastructure. When Arthur Anderson um, went down with the Enron scandal in, in 2002, I started my first company focused on what was the predecessor of SOC 1 and SOC 2 audits called SAS 70s. And, um, and then uh, started a line to focus around a little bit broader information technology auditing, because you could see many of the overlaps involved. Um, one of the... Uh, the things that is not security related about me is that I live in Tampa, Florida, enjoy the water. I think uh, anybody in cybersecurity, frankly, has an ever-changing, stressful job. And so the ability to watch the sunset <laughs> every night and it be different is something that calms me down in this fast-paced job that we all have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, meditation is definitely part of my practice these days. Um so you talked about starting a company before Align, which was SAS yeah. 70. How did how did you start that and what happened? Is the company still around? Yes. Yeah, so um, it was an interesting journey for me. I started the company at 26 years of age with another gentleman. We were both at Arthur Anderson. Um, we did a company and we named it SAS 70 Solutions, doing SAS 70 audits. I, I joke, uh, I drove down the road and saw Bob's Free Cutting Solutions and Sam's Security Solutions. And <laughs> there's lots of solutions. Um, through the company uh, to uh, till 2009, and uh, and the other gentleman I had a had I wanted to really broaden what we were doing, focus on technology, uh, and thought that there was an opportunity for me to um, to look to do something different. And so uh, Chris and I actually split in 2009. Uh, the firm uh, Shellman has has remained on uh, is is a great firm with a large number of people that I recruited during that time as well. And so uh, they're in our space performing similar audits. But I think it was an opportunity for me to learn how to run a company 
Um, and then in 2009, started a line and uh, had the ability to learn how to have um, the majority ownership. So I, I called the shots, you know, maybe since I audit cybersecurity controls, you could say I'm a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So what lessons did you bring into starting a line that you took from that first experience of starting a company? You know, I think the um, changing a transactional purchase, maybe let's say a SOC 2 or something that you go through annually, people could see that as transactional. And instead, I focus on how we make that relational. And so both for the employee and the customer. So I think early on, you focus about acquiring clients, customer acquisition, go, 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 grow at all costs almost versus the second time around is how do I create a relationship with customers, a relationship with our, our employees, which at alignment call climbers, to um, put them on this journey to be able to become and behave more compliant and securely, and then also um, delve into the employees of where they want to go with their careers and make this more of a relationship rather than a transaction. And so I think I learned how to look in the future in partnership with our customers rather than focus on the transaction for that particular year with them. Well, that sounds really like it was, it's a very good learning because I do believe right now that a lot of companies um, are looking for that expertise and that help in terms of actually taking them through a long-term relationship versus a, a, like you said, a very transactional one. So why don't, for the audience, why don't you just um, give us a little bit more about the breadth of services that Align offers right now? Yeah. And, and Caroline, I think it's down to why is the company called Align? When I would perform a SOC 2 audit, and then about four months later, the company would call up and say, hey, we have somebody in healthcare that's asking for a HIPAA audit. I would have to go out and pull very similar information to what I did before. And the network administrator, whoever it was, he or she would say, why can you have done this the first time? And so I said, we need to understand where an organization is going strategically. So what industries are they going into? What type of customers will they attract? What segment of customers, whether it be small, medium businesses or enterprise businesses? And then what are their compliance objectives that they're going to push down on our customers, these third parties? And so looking at that, we've realized, okay, that might be in SOC 1 or SOC 2 traditionally. Healthcare, as I mentioned, could be HIPAA or high trust as we're a high trust assessor. And then we moved into ISO, as you saw from Europe coming into the U.S. and creating these global markets, ISO 27001, 27017, moving more into the U.S. and we became a certification body for ISO as well. PCI, uh, as, as people have card data, and it could be in any way, it could be a data warehouse and they just are some loyalty reporting application, but they still have to comply with PCI. And that pushed us then into penetration testing because so many times with a PCI audit, you need to time that with pen testing. And then lastly, um, you know, in, in, uh, as you look at uh, what's happening in the economy, out there and you see some slowdown, the federal government does not seem to be slowing down as somebody that their, their budgets are increasing. And so the ability to be a FedRAMP assessor, which we are, I think we're the third, uh, we take the third most firms through the FedRAMP process as well. And so those breadth of services that we perform, not only to U.S. companies, but we have now close to 700 individuals um, with about 350 in the U.S., Bulgaria, India, Ireland, and then Panama uh, to be able to provide sort of fall the sun type auditing services to our customers because they are looking for more real-time reporting on where they're doing, uh, how they're performing. 
we actually paired that, you know, everyone's moving into technology and how we can become, you know, ready for an audit quicker um, and, and, and possibly, you know, sometimes cookie cutter approach to it. And I'm saying you can have readiness and automation with quality. And, and that's really what we're trying to bring to it is that the fact that third party reporting does have a place um, in our economy, it does have a place in risk management, vendor risk management, uh, but quality reporting is really what people are looking for to make those buying decisions or vendor assessment decisions on an annual basis. Yeah, I mean, so for the audience, I've known you for, I mean, about uh, almost a decade, I think now, because when yeah. I was at sale through, we used a line for our SOC 2 type one, um, which I think we did twice. Um, so I'm fascinated by where the this industry has gone over the last decade. And I'm really curious to know your opinion with some of these automation companies, these compliance mm -hmm. companies that have come into the picture. And then and then you just talked about, the. Uh, this is a multi-part question, but your, the growth of your company, I think people who are listening would want to know, how did you make the decisions that led to growth? Because there's a lot of decisions people can make that lead to contraction. And then you have all this competition kind of coming in through this these software platforms? Yeah, so, um, you know, maybe I'll take the growth story for us. The growth story was around, there was this void in the marketplace of having really quality professional services that are focused in those areas. You know, when I was at Arthur Anderson, uh, you know, the SOC, the predecessor of the SOC audits was just a, a minor percentage of the entire firm. Great people performing great work, but when you look at where you're going to put dollars for research and education and, and, and tools, you're going to put it in your areas where you have the most return on the investment in larger percentage areas, maybe in financial audit or transaction or tax work. For us to be able to come in and focus solely and create experts who are able to deliver the service, who may perform 30 SOC audits in a year on a global basis, whereas uh, if you're based in a particular city, if you're in Boston or wherever it may be, you're maybe doing 10 a year or five a year as an auditor. And so after 10 years, you maybe have 50. And for our people, they're doing it week in, week out and putting people on the same engagements over and over creates that continuity as well. And also the quality side of it, which I think is so important because every year the risk is going to change and we're going to get better at auditing that risk. For us, our technology platform was first focused around making the auditor process have higher quality and more efficiency. So how do we gather the data from the customer, et cetera? I think the platforms that came into our space put the eye on more the, the readiness side of it. Oftentimes we partner with these CISOs to help our customers get ready for an audit mm -hmm. and we would conduct the audit. They took it a level of how do you automate some of those readiness features? And I do think some of those readiness features can be automated in a, in a good way and can help guide the client through. I think it's really important, though, that the controls are tailored to the customer's environment. And so oftentimes we see the platform is dictating what the controls are. And so the customer is trying to mirror their environment to what those controls need to be to fit into what can be automated. And, um, you know, so I do think it was helpful that it, it brought more people into the process earlier in the buying cycle. I think, though, when we start having these platforms determine what audit testing is and what the auditors should accept as evidence and, and that fact of how the test performed, the auditors got to realize at the end of the day they can't abdicate their responsibility for the professional standards and what they have to determine 
was that audit sample appropriate? Was that control truly mitigating the risk that was out there? That risk is constantly changing, so you should see that control changing as well. And then what test was performed and was it actually a test to, to meet, you know, as you mentioned at sale through the type one is a point in time on it, the type mm -hmm. two is a period of time, were the controls tested over that period of time? And, and I think that's frankly where we don't want the profession to have a watered down approach because I think we were very fortunate in our shoes that SOC 2 sort of became the de facto standard to be able to, you know, as, as you know, uh, from reviewing contracts, it was, the, it was the contractual obligation, the pay to play, you had to get this done to be able yep. to sign this customer. And I yep. always say, well, we allow our clients to demonstrate trust and respect to their stakeholders. So you can trust what our controls are. And it's not if, but when we have a breach, you can know that we will respect your data and handle it in this manner with the breach and notify you, et cetera. And I think those are the things that um, we want to ensure stays in the profession. And some of the worry that you have as the wallet share of a audit or assessment goes less from professional services and more to software. There is automation that, that's very helpful, I think, to the organization, maybe to focus on higher risk areas, but you can't automate the entire process. You know, just like you can't automate yep. a review of a legal agreement in, in totality and understand risk. You need to have someone who's out there saying, truly, this is the risk in the industry. These are the trends that we're seeing. And here's the advice of that. And so my hope is that we continue to see strength in the profession that has gotten us to the growth that we have gotten to because customers have come on board and said, you know what, the consultative approach resonates with me. You don't come in there and say, here's the checklist that you have to follow which is maybe what some of these platforms are built on is this checklist you have to follow. Instead, was the understanding of my environment? What controls do I have to have to mitigate the risk that you're telling me I have? And then what documentation do I have to have in place to prove those controls? Um, and so I, I'm hoping that what resonated with our growth that we had before um, and, and having, you know, again, people always say, Scott, you built this great company, et cetera. And we sell an experience, a customer experience that they have trust in us that we're doing our work properly. And so it's the people yeah. that comes down to it. So we can utilize the software as a tool. I think it's a great tool for us to use and, and Ascend. I think we have now 12,000 users on our platform and 2 million pieces of data of, of customers' data that we have from an audit standpoint. But that people side, that consultative approach is still so necessary for a CISO or another interested stakeholder understand risk and, and what we should do to mitigate it because it's not the same for everybody. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have said it better. And there's so many nuggets in there that I really love this, especially the part about the consultative approach and the market perspective that that provides, as well as the customization that a, a, someone who's actually familiar with the environment can provide. So I, I, I really, I hope the listeners appreciate everything that you just said. It was really full, packed full of good advice for, for virtual CISO listeners. Um, talking about Ascend. So Ascend is Align's technology platform that you use for helping conduct audits. I happen to be a little familiar with it. Can you talk about the rollout of that technology? Because I, I really found how you did it was really, really interesting. And I'm going to maybe tee this up a little bit by saying you really went after the, we're going to launch this and we're going to get a lot of customer feedback and improve it and iterate pretty quickly. 
Yeah, that's interesting, Caroline. I, I um, you know, there's uh, there's books that say you should shoot bullets first before cannons, and and we come at it and say, let's see what what breaks and get you know sort of crowdsource it to some degree. Um, we rolled out uh, first our Ascend software focus on our auditor, like I was saying, how to make them um, have focus on the higher risk areas pull the client's data together. And I think what we saw with some of these platforms that is earlier in the buying cycle really matters and how you do ready assessments. And let's face it, as the journey happens, you may do SOC 2 today, but someone may say, you know what, we want to do HIPAA or we want to do high trust and how close are we? And we need to have a readiness assessment. And back in the day, I would say, well, give us a week. We'll look at the controls for HIPAA. We'll look at the controls for your SOC 2. We'll see what maps, and then we'll send you the, the Delta. Well, why can't we create that online and have the customer actually self-drive that to a process where they've got the data put in, they've seen it, and now they can help us work the questions. We really felt like we have the ability to um, have a send be used for specific customers. But then we said, you know, really, it's all about adoption and, and ascend in the marketplace so we can see what customers are using, what not they're using, and create a client advisory board to have them steer our, our roadmap. You know, oftentimes they say, well, build what you think the customer wants. And I said, well, geez, five years ago, they didn't say they needed readiness automation and any of these other things in place. And so instead, we said we turned on for all of our customers. And it was interesting that we had... Um, uh, an additional 2,900 customers turned on July 15th into Ascend. Uh, in the first 48 hours, we had 10% of them start activating these features of automated evidence collection, integrations, data analysis, pulling into that. And we were the system held just fine. That was one of the areas I was concerned about. And I was like, well, if we if we get 10% every two weeks, this is going to have full adoption You know, in a few months. This is fantastic. And then we said... We should, though, customers, we really value our services. That's the piece where we come to play. So let everyone have access to free it to all the features of Ascend as they get ready on their journey. We're finding that customers are coming in earlier in the buying cycle where they, they say, I'm not ready to talk to an auditor yet or engage with them. I want to get ready. And so having the software guide that process for them when they feel like, okay, now I'm ready to sit down with an auditor because I understand the requirements, I understand the risks, I like to talk to you about these controls I need to implement. And so we turn it on for everyone as well on August 1st so that anyone can sign up for a free year of the Ascend software so they can have that process. And then, you know, and, and when, they're, when they think they're ready or they may never become ready, but they want to use it to behave securely which is great as well. I think it's sort of, you know, our altruistic thing that we're doing for hopefully the cybersecurity world is saying, hey, we're going to try to make everyone behave more securely because we do believe the standards help you behave securely. I always say compliance is equal security and security doesn't equal compliance. But if you want to behave more securely, these standards are very helpful in that for a new company. And so- yeah. With the economy, you know, and, and many companies with the downsizing, it usually springs people into starting companies, just like I did with Anderson when Enron happened, started a company. And I think this gives us the ability to offer to those startups the ability to um, engage in a in a process, understand standards that they may need to build their software. Because so many times, I think, you know, virtual systems are brought in after an application is fully developed. And they're like, oh, we need to have some controls in place now for it. And the rework and the recode and everything else is costly and time consuming. And so if people can build with security in mind, 
I think that's really interesting for the marketplace and, and our send platform allows them to do that. So it's been a, it's, you know, I always say we will be a tech-enabled services firm. That's the goal of, of where Align is at. And we're going to use software in our services to build this solution for our customers. Um, you know, but we're not going to be a true SaaS provider. That's not the that's not the goal of what it is, because we do believe there's a human element to security as well. Yeah, I love that. Actually, I might steal that because with ClearOps, we definitely uh, believe in being almost like the we're we're helping automate the virtual CISOs and the work they're doing, but we still very much believe in what they're doing is important. Um, I have a favorite question that I, I have to ask you because you are such an experienced entrepreneur. And I think people listening to this podcast really do want to hear some of the entrepreneurship side, which is what was the hardest part about starting your business? I, you know, I think for, you know, for me, I've, I've seen the highs and I've seen the lows and I, and then come back up again. When I, when I um, split in 2009 with my partner to start up again, you know, I went from an $11 million company to, it took me six months to get a $6,500 audit client. Um, and, and that's a humbling experience for you to go through and then yeah. build back up again. And I wrote checks for the first five years into the business to uh, make payroll um, during that time. And, uh, and so that was, it's a, it's a hard time to, to have to do that startup all over again. Um, it is more efficient, but you make a lot more, you still make mistakes no matter what. And I think the hardest thing about this business is, and for any entrepreneur, is you never turn your brain off. You're constantly thinking about this business. Um, you know, I think for those for those um, entrepreneurs that are able to turn their brain off and figure out a way to do so, that's so healthy. I think I constantly am thinking about what decisions I'm making for the business because I feel this tremendous fiduciary responsibility to our customers and our climbers. And I don't want to make a decision that adversely affects them. I always say, you can buy anything in this world, but they don't sell time. And so the time that our customers spend with us, our climbers spend with us as well, I wanted to make sure it's as efficient, as fruitful as possible for them. And I think sometimes um, you have to make hard decisions. You know, I, I saw a, a recent video about, you know, leadership has a cost to it. And I was speaking to my leadership coach about that as well. You hear about all the advantages of leadership and traits of leaders. But leadership has a cost to it. And I think that's something that entrepreneurs may underestimate, that you make a decision that benefits the company, but it might hurt somebody in the company because it wasn't you chose somebody else's decision and not theirs. Or you chose to allocate a pot of dollars to IT versus the go-to-market team because you felt like you know the application really needs more dollars right now to invest to create a different customer experience. So I think the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur is, is these... Um, the leadership decisions you have to make, there's costs associated with those. And, um, and also the fiduciary responsibility that you feel as you grow to, you know, nearly 700 people that, that I want to make sure I make the right decisions for. Yeah. And I think when you started answering that question, one of the things that really struck me was the perseverance that you clearly had. You were very much committed and believed in the, the business. Yeah. And I think that is something that is very hard because I think I, I just from personal experience, I think a lot of people come at you and sort of doubt with doubt. Why are you keep going? Why do you keep doing this? What What's the proof that shows you that you should keep going? And you did it and, and you did it and you have a success story now, which is awesome. Thank you. And I, you know, if people say, you know, continue to ask that question, Caroline, and, and it's because 
there's unfinished business. You know, when you can see the potential in people, you can see our what cybersecurity is and, and how it's, you know, I think sitting on the sidelines and, and, and not being in on the field is not the best place for me and my contributions I can make to our people and our customers. And um, I think that's something that uh, I go back to that fiduciary responsibility that you don't feel an obligation. You just feel responsible that you should do the right thing and, and be on the field with it. Yeah. I love that. All right. So we are unfortunately running out of time. Um, a couple, maybe one or two quick fire questions for you. Um, anyone that you think I should interview for this podcast? Yeah, there's an individual, Dan Doggendorf, um, who I started with at Earth Anderson. He was a technology risk consulting manager um, who focused in security, became the CIO of the Dallas Stars hockey team, uh, and now is um, has a virtual CISO organization. He's been someone that's helped our clients tremendously uh, become ready and, and sort of a thought leader for me as well. Awesome. I will definitely reach out to him. Any favorite cybersecurity or business book that you would recommend to the audience? So um, I don't know about a cybersecurity book. I, I think it's around, uh, it's probably a common theme, what I just was answering previously around leadership. I'm a, I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan. Um, there is a Start With Why book. Um, uh, there's Leaders Eat Last. Uh, and I think, and in, in also um, the you know, a game. And there's the fact that we don't play in a game that has an end period. It's not a football or baseball or basketball game. Um, but there's a, the infinite game and Simon Sinek mm -hmm. is a great book about the infinite game. Uh, and I think that's what businesses should be thinking about, not just sort of year end. Awesome. Well, thank you for those insights, Scott. It's been great talking to you. Can you please tell our audience where they can find you and how they can reach out to Align? Of course, Caroline. Thank you for having me again. It's Scott Price at Align and it's scott.price at a-line.com. You can find us on the web at a-line.com and connect with me on LinkedIn. Great. Well, it's been fascinating hearing your story and talking to you. And if you're a listener to this podcast, you can find this podcast on Substack and Apple Podcasts at the Security Expert Marketplace. So thanks again and have a great day. And hopefully we'll talk again when we uh, have even more success to talk about. <laughs> Thank you, Caroline.